woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from this tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So Eve adds on to what God had said. She gets into the act where the serpent had been omitting words of God in that temptation. She adds a word. She says, God said we cannot touch it. God never did say that. She adds that. Because, you see, she is subtly being led by the serpent to doubt God's love. Good morning. Welcome to Rogue Grace. This is Peter John with you, a.k.a. Second Class John, a.k.a. John Jr., a.k.a. John's Kid. (laughs) And I'm talking to you for a moment here that Eve said, we cannot touch it. And it shows, the more I doubt God's love, the results, listen, oh man, the more I doubt God's love, the results are going to be rules and conditions. See, God said, all that I have, all that I have made is yours. All. And yet she makes God seem stingy as we do when we premise what God says with laws. See, in a very real sense, Eve was law-minded at that moment. We cannot eat it nor touch it. She's adding, she's, she's um, legislating. And you would think that's going to even be a create a safer environment, right? You can't eat it and you can't even touch it, you add? No. See, we add on these rules in Christianity and we think, oh, we're making things safer, but all you're doing is instigating people's souls to sin even more. And I'm not saying we should say, hey, everybody, sin freely. I'm saying, no, just don't add on to stuff that God didn't say thank you very much. (laughs) Oh... And when they ate, their eyes were opened. Isn't that interesting? When they ate, their eyes were opened. You would think their eyes would be shut. But their eyes were opened. They could see more than they did before. And that is the very epitome of sin consciousness. The serpent, the snake, the devil wants you to see sin. Be conscious of sin. To be absolutely transfixed with sin in your life, around you, on you. Not just being cautious. I'm not saying being wise. I'm not saying being aware. I mean being fixed on it. Aware of it to the point of being focused 
I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. You think you say, but the result will always be shame, sin consciousness. Because you see, the serpent wants your eyes to be on you. The Savior wants your eyes to be on Him. The serpent wants you to be self-occupied. The Savior wants you to be Christ-occupied. And then you see in this Eden account the broken heart of God because the serpent got what he wanted. He wanted their eyes to be opened. He wanted them to lose their innocence. He wanted them to be law-minded, sin-conscious, self-occupied. Just as he wants us to be as well. So, this morning, I want to talk to you about the blood. I love my job. Thank you for letting me do this. <laughs> I get to talk to you this morning about the blood because the Bible, when it first mentions blood, it says blood has a voice. So let's move on now from Adam and Eve right into the next generation. They're kiddos. This is where blood is first mentioned with the story of Cain and Abel. You're well familiar with it. The entire world is, in many ways, familiar with this story. The blood on a crime scene can indict the murderer because even though the person is dead, the voice in that blood is not if you know what I mean, so to speak, so that they can look at that blood, examine that blood, do tests on that blood, and the blood cries out, does it not, of the one that has been murdered. In this case, in the case of Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, God is the one that hears the voice of the blood. It cries out from the ground, as God says to Abel's brother who had killed him, Cain. It's crying out from the ground. Let me read it to you. You're familiar with this ancient passage. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. So the first question of the Old Testament was, where are you? right? Remember that? Adam, Eve, God asks, where are you? The second question is, where is your brother? <laughs> are you your brother's keeper? And Cain says, I am not. 
See, this is a guy that was a shepherd. And when the word there for keeper, brother's keeper, is actually a play on words. It means, it speaks of, in other ways, in other texts of keeping sheep. Am I my brother's keeper as in, do I keep him like a sheep? Cain asks. His blood is crying to me from the ground, God says. The devil and Cain himself thought if they could just silence the voice of Abel, that they would be clear. The devil thought he could silence a way to approach God by faith alone. Isn't that amazing? Because you see, Abel is the voice. Abel is the man that shows us how to approach God by faith alone. And the devil wanted to destroy that. He wanted to, for a moment, empower the legalist, the religious-minded Cain to kill his brother. Now we are righteous, you and I, like Abel. Not because of our person, not because of who we are, but the offering we give, even as he did. An offering of a sheep, of a lamb. It's not the offering so much that we offer. When I say we give, I mean it's the offering we have. The Lamb of God. Now, can Abel's blood cleanse his brother's sin? Even though Abel was righteous? No. Abel himself was a man who needed an offering. He was righteous, but not intrinsically like Jesus. So his blood cries out for vengeance. Even he needed an offering. So it was just a picture or a foreshadowing of what was to come. What is that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Of all the blessings and gifts God gave of all of his blessings, the heavenly host, the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul, inspiring John, inspiring the writers, knows that there was a greatest gift. His only begotten son. In Romans 8, if God did not spare his own son, literally, the word there is the greatest gift. How much more will he give us all good things. Do you know that? God gave to me the greatest gift in the cosmos. He gave me his son. So along with him, God will not spare any good thing. Now, Hebrews says that the blood of sprinkling speaks of better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks just like Abel. No, better things. Because Abel's blood spoke, speaks of vengeance, but God's sons, Jesus's blood speaks of forgiveness, grace, redemption. And the moment the blood was shed, the judgment and forgiveness was immediate. God is not counting our sins against us, the world's sins against them. As immediate as the judgment came from God for Cain's murder 
of Abel, shedding Abel's blood. As immediate as that was, so too was it immediate when the blood of Jesus was shed that God forgave our sins. The same blood of Jesus that tore that veil removes your sins. The moment Abel's blood was shed, huh, the curse came upon Cain. But the moment Jesus' blood was shed, the blessing comes upon us. A blessing that is irreversible. Just as the curse was for, for Cain, we have a blessing that is not gained by anything we do. Neither is it sustained by anything we do. It is the shed blood of Jesus just like in Cain's curse, he could not escape it. You cannot escape the blessing of the blood of Jesus. Why is it that we as believers even seek to improve ourselves rather than remember Jesus has done it? That's why so often we have a hard time finding that settling place. Because we have this feeling it has to do with ourselves. But faith has to do with Jesus Christ. Even if you don't feel like that. Even if you don't feel righteous. Feel holy. The feelings are not going to save you one way or the other. Right? They're temporal. They're based on how well you slept. What you ate. What medicine you're taking. How your body is working. So on and so forth. That's why we're saved by faith and not by feelings, my friend. I am encouraging myself right now to do this, to take God at his word, whether I feel it or not. Feeling is so often, mm, so often occupied with um, self. Do I feel forgiven? Do I feel at peace? Do I feel that I'm right with God? Feelings occupy us with ourselves, I think, right? Wouldn't you think that? But faith with Jesus Christ. Because you see, while feelings are more inward, faith is outward. It has something to do outside of myself. And you see this in Romans 7, right? Paul, the apostle, is distraught to say the least. He is a man that is obviously, well, I would have had a good term before my brain went dead a few months ago, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, in Romans 7, what a sinner I am. He says over and over, I cannot separate myself from doing wrong. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, he says, I, 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 all of the time. See, he had an I problem, not E-Y-E only, but I mean an I. And ultimately, anything that is focused on me inwardly will lead me downwardly, right? But faith is outward, not inward, upward, not inward so I don't have to build my, my life on, do I feel clean? Feelings come and go. I mean, there's a place for them in 
in marriage, in friendship, for sure, even in our relationship with God, absolutely. But feelings should not be the basis of my, your relationship with God. Whatever Cain was feeling after he destroyed, he killed his own brother, right? God wasn't dealing with Cain based on his feelings. God only dealt with the blood, what the, what the blood said. It was in his sight. It was in his ears. And so too, God is not dealing with you based on your thoughts and your feelings, but what the blood of Jesus says in his sight. Wow. I'm, that feels good to say. I'm going to tell you that right now. We get all hung up on these feelings. Under, I do. I mean, you do. We do. Even right now, my thoughts can go astray. My thoughts about football or my career or my kids or whatever, they can captivate me. They can seize me. And before you know it, I'm thinking the devil is actually saying to me in many ways, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a pastor. But then I remember like I am right now, God is not dealing with me based on my thoughts or my feelings but dealing with me based on what the blood of Jesus says to God, the Father. This is my basis for peace. It's not peace based on anything that I do or man does or you do or woman does. Or else you're the weak link. So am I. If it's based on what we do. I think sometimes we can get a little depressed by little, I mean a lot, maybe, because I'm not all I should be. I should have more peace, but I don't feel peace. Look at all the eyes that I just mentioned based on feelings and emotions. And the hard part about getting rid of yourself in that sense is when you wake up in the morning, it's still there. But rather, know this. That God is not dealing with you based on your person, but on the blood of Jesus. That's where Abel's approach was reality. And that's why the devil was trying to cover it up. It is always those who believe there's something good in me that God must accept. That like Cain, go off track with other people. They end up murdering people with their words, their comments, their judgments. But I think right now, even right now, these, these simple words that I'm sharing from the Garden of Eden are setting somebody free. I think that's what's happening. How do you know, Pete? Well, because if that somebody is me, then it's me. <laughs> Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 3 about this. When 1 John chapter 3 says to you and I to practice righteousness, right? That's, that's a, a command of the New Testament, as it were. That's a law that's given to us. 
It says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And anyone who does not remains in death. Look at the context. This message is that we're to love one another, not like Cain, quote, loved his brother, end quote. Why did he murder him? We read, because Cain's work was evil and his brother's work was righteous, as it were. His brother was righteous and he was evil. See, if we, if we didn't study the story, we'd say that Cain, his works were righteous, offering his harvest crop to God. But if we only see the story in that way, we're missing the whole point. The whole point of the story of Cain and Abel is getting our eyes off ourselves and on to Jesus Christ. That is faith. So in other words, when you look at Cain and Abel and all that, feelings can be such a shaky foundation. Because you look inward and you become, you go downward. But faith looks outward and goes onward. The blood of Jesus speaks of better things. The church declares your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. Believing this is practicing righteousness. How beautiful Jesus is. Put your eyes on him. That's what God was saying in that story of Cain and Abel long before Jesus was even born. <laughs> Don't put your eyes on yourself. Put your eyes on Jesus.
6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Good question. Paul, I know you think that's a good question, Paul, because in Romans chapter 7, Paul, you say, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul, I feel the same tension you're talking about in Romans. Now, Romans 6 verse 1, going back to that again. Thanks for letting me do that, giving me the opportunity to talk to you from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace of God may increase? By no means we died to sin. So consider that with me because there's no division in the Bible in the sense of, um, well, just in chapter five before Paul says where sin increases, God's grace super abounds. So your very area of defeat can be your greatest area of victory through God's grace. Your strength can be your weakness as well as your weakness can be your strength. I mean, here's an example of that. The same mouth that denied he even knew Jesus proclaimed the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Of course, I'm talking about Peter. The very area of defeat can also be the area of your victory. Where is your area of weakness, by the way? By God's grace, it can actually be the area of your victory your strength if you hang on look to lean on him so that when even when you fail you say father i receive your super abounding grace now in here back in romans 6 paul was preaching so strong he was quoting one of his critics that's how strong he was preaching about grace his critics were saying Paul is saying, let's just sin so that grace might abound. And Paul is saying, that's absurd. And he's right. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something interesting. I think it's worth thinking about. Paul was accused of preaching grace too strongly. Lloyd-Jones said, how come today... No one is accusing or being accused of this anymore. That's true. Why don't we see more criticism about someone? You're preaching God's grace too strongly. I mean, I've gotten that criticism (laughs) just between you and me. I've gotten uh, a letter or a phone call or two. But why don't we see that more? How can you be so free-flowing in the grace of God? Paul was accused of this. And his answer to the critic is, No, how shall we, if we're dead to sin, how can we live in, in sin? How can we continue in it? See, when you're dead to something, 
It's once and for all. It's not repeated. So you might commit, when it comes to sin, you're dead to sin. You're not dying to sin. You're dead to sin. What does that mean? You might commit a sin, but you don't dwell in it or live in it. You're not, what I'm saying is you, you might commit a sin, but you're not, it's not your identity any longer. And it's not something that you are practicing anymore. See, it used to be, get this, here's the, here's what I'm, my point. You used to do what was right every once in a while, and yet you were living in the wrong. But now through Christ, now through Christ, you do wrong every once in a while, but you're living in the right. See how that, that works, if you agree with me? So you're a prisoner of righteousness, as Paul says. A prisoner of righteousness means you are so set free from sin. And by that, not just the practice, but deeper than the practice, you're set free from the position See, what if you won the lottery for 10 million bucks, right? Just what if, what if, right? Let's say, what was that old guy that my, my memory is so bad these days because of my brain surgery, but that old guy, Ed McMahon, there you go, Ed McMahon. You won 10 million bucks and they send it in the mail and it's redirected. You're in the dark. And for that first month, it's yours, that 10 million bucks. That second month it's yours, that third month it's yours. It's always yours, that 10 million bucks. But did you live like it? Nope. Whether it's yours or not, it doesn't matter as much as if you know it's yours or not. You got to know it's yours. That is why Jesus is always saying, and Paul is always saying, know ye not or don't you know? And that's why we come to church. <laughs> it gives us not just a reminder, the inventory of what is your inheritance, that we have the best medicine available. We have the best provision possible. We have the best wealth attainable. We have the best trust fund or antidepressant or painkillers. It is called communion, the body and the blood. Of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul would say many believers have this and they don't even know what they have. And that's why they're sick and dying, he said, about communion. But what this means is, praise God, you can be a fool and still receive the blessing and the favor of God's salvation because you are righteous. For whatever you do, God says you are righteous. See, look, notice that. From whatever you do, where God says you're a sinner. Now, to whatever you do, God says you are righteous. Jesus came because God loves you. Jesus didn't deserve punishment, but he was punished for your sin. Jesus didn't deserve cursing, but he was cursed on my behalf. We deserve no favor and blessing, but we receive it through what Jesus Christ has done. Oh
Jesus rest To lay beside the banks of joy Not loneliness I want to feel the weight of eternal rest To build the walls of freedom Wider than the rest So take
as Jesus is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, verse 17. Thanks, John. Thank you for writing those words, as well as the rest of your epistle. That as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Jesus is at the right hand of God, seated in victory and perfection. So that God is now looking at you through and in Jesus. The devil wants to turn your eyes back on yourself. How obedient are you? How well are you keeping the law? God says, put your eyes on my son, Jesus, for when you rest, he works. On the other hand, when you work, he rests as it were. If you're doing, if I'm doing it in my own strength will burn out. But if Jesus is in you, then you will be like that burning shrub that Moses encountered burning, but not burning burned out. Don't you love that? How Moses saw that shrub on fire, but not burning out. Don't you want that? Don't I need that? Isn't that why, as my dad is often taught, the priests were to wear linen in the tabernacle, in the temple? Linen. Why? Never let him see you sweat. That's cool. Because sweat is human effort. It's a sign of the curse, so to speak. And that's why I love Jesus. You look at Jesus, he's always, he's never in a rush, is he? He's always cool. Master, come and pray for my daughter. She is doing terrible. She's dying. Oh, okay. And he did. He he raised her from the dead, but always had time. Yet, did anyone... Jesus is always taking his time, right? Jesus is always taking his time, right? I'm telling this to myself right now. Jesus is always taking his time, right? Never in a rush. Never hurried. Never frustrated, right? But was there anyone more active in life than Jesus? <laughs> I mean, even in the storm, they wake him up, right? In that boat. He, it was a well-deserved nap, to say the least. And they wake him up. And what does he say? Shalom. <laughs> he was cool. Now, I'm, also, I'm saying all of that because of this. When Jesus corrected his disciples... He would say to them, oh, you of little faith, right? Oh, you of little faith. He never said, oh, you of little prayer. Oh, you of little works. Oh, you of little fasting. <laughs> I can tell, by the way, that you're of little fasting. No, he just said little faith. In other words, Jesus was saying, 
Well, and let me put it to you this way. Faith is like, well, faith takes. It's like a hand that takes from the hand of God. So Jesus was saying in many ways to these disciples out of love, he was saying out of instruction, he was telling them, why do you take so little? He's saying the same thing to me right now. I mean, after he multiplied those loaves, it says that the people and the disciples ate as much as they would. Not as much as, it doesn't say they ate as much as Jesus would. I think often we limit him. I know I probably do. But he made so much, there were still 12 baskets left over. You take from him. And then you're able to give, but only because you've already received his love. And then you can love him and love others. Jesus, well, look at Mary. She sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy serving. Martha says, don't you care, Jesus, that she's doing this? See, if you think God needs your ministry, no, God can use a fish to bring prosperity like he did with Peter and the taxes and a few loaves to feed 5,000. So often we can be like Martha, get frustrated with others, frustrated with the Lord. Just, you know, look at what Martha does. She's, she is two for one shot here. She says to Jesus, don't you care that my sister is sitting down? instead of serving. So she's indicting both Jesus and Martha. And like her, um, we can get, like I said, angry, uh, frustrated. Why aren't they doing more? And then almost bring that attitude to the Lord like Martha did. Nothing wrong with works. Not at all. It's the, at, it's the spirit that you have, Martha. That's the problem. And that's why Jesus beautifully says, one thing is needful, to sit at my feet. That's why he said that to her. There's one thing that's needful. He's saying that to my soul right now and yours too. There's one thing that's needful. Yeah, I need to do this, this, and this. Nope. There's one thing that's needful. Come and sit at my feet. I mean, let me just ask you this question. Which of those two sisters made Jesus feel more like God? <laughs> the one who was working or the one who was worshiping? Don't you love that? That's a question for you. It's when I'm not I'm working, it's when I'm worshiping that I'm reminding myself and I'm heaping praise upon Christ that he is God. I'm not saying never work because you see Mary ended up doing the right thing at the right time. She anoints him with fragrance, anointing him for burial before he had died. I mean, even the other ladies anointed Jesus with spices, but it was too late in many ways. He had died. He was risen. She sees it ahead of time. So it's not that you don't end up doing anything. It's that you end up doing the right thing at the right time. 
because you are resting, sitting at his feet. It's not spiritual laziness. It's spiritual smartness. (laughs) So we're transformed simply by looking to Jesus. Try to hear a new word from God And I think it's very odd That while I attempt to help myself My Bible sits upon the shelf With every promise I could ever need And the word was Does it fit across the shoulders? Will it fade when it gets older? We throw ideas that aren't in style in the Salvation Army pile and search for something more to meet our needs.
I know that song sounds old school, and it is, but I don't care. I'm getting old. I love it because right now my daughter is learning for her uh, her cheerleading squad. They they have to do these cheers to all these songs that I grew up with. <laughs> I love it from like the '90s. I mean, seriously. Oh, speaking of, I remember when my daughter was playing. My other daughter was playing softball. She played like 10 years in a row or something like that. And after a while, it dawned on me. It was funny because the kids, they, they'd get on base, right? Essentially, almost all of them at one point early in her career got on base because they walked. But um, she gets, they get on, on base and they're allowed to lead off. And so the coach yells at them, lead off, you know, step off the bag. And so they, they did about half a step, literally three inches. So if you, if you, if you ever watched a baseball game or you're a fan, you know, leading off means getting as far away from the bag as you think you can take that risk so that you can get back if the ball's thrown. Well, it shows how much they were risking taking about a, not even a half step off the bag. It was kind of, entertaining to watch them they were afraid to step out not peter he wasn't afraid to step out did he get wet yep sure did i know that feeling so do you i don't just mean because water skiing or whatever i mean in life wow i stepped out and it didn't end like i thought it was going to end that's what peter might have said and yet he encountered jesus I love that Jesus says, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. Can I reverse that, Jesus? I mean, I'm not reversing what Jesus says. I'm reinforcing the one who loves much is forgiven much. <laughs> In other words, the one who loves much, it's because they've been forgiven much. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Well, when you know what God has done for you and that God is on your side. You can take a few more steps off the back. And I don't mean into sin, but I mean into serving, into waiting on God, walking with God, enjoying life. I'll leave you with this question. What would you do if you knew that God loved you no matter what? There you go. Thanks for tuning in. These uh, little programs of Rogue Grace are on iTunes. Plus, well, I have something I want to announce, but I'm going to wait until we get it all done. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on Sunday here at church. Or I'll see you in heaven if the Lord comes back before Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.